discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm Fifi, sitting in for Heyang, who is taking some much-needed rest. And today we are having some very interesting topics to delve into. As much as we appreciate what the internet has brought us, the dark side of the technology has also been unfolding before us. In particular, we want to touch upon cyberbullying with a recent case in China. And for workers out there, we're encouraged to engage actively in the workplace to increase our productivity and also enhance our creativity. But now there are people asking, is this really necessary? We'll check with the answers in a bit. And for today's discussions, I'm joined with the lovely Ningjing and Li Yi in the studio. First, for the first half of the show, the suicide of a 23-year-old young woman has caused outrage among the Chinese public after it was discovered that she had been subject to hurtful comments simply for unwittingly showing off her pink hair on social media. While many are calling for justice. We ask, what can be done to stop similar tragedies happening again? And first, let's check with Li Yi on exactly what happened. Sure. So actually, the story is quite shocking and heartbreaking. Basically, this young lady is surnamed Zhang, and she was from Eastern China, and she committed suicide on January the twenty-third after a six-month battle against cyberbullying. And initially, in July twenty twenty-two, basically the girl shared pictures on various social media platforms、uh, celebrating her admission to a top university, which is East China Normal University, and where she was due to study music. Actually, the young lady had been dreaming of becoming. A music teacher. So when her dream finally became true, she was just proudly showing her graduate in. Admission letter to her bedridden grandpa in a hospital. However, the girl later became the target of cyberbullying because of her hair, which was dyed pink. You know, people make fun of her because of her pink hair and saying she wasn't really qualified to be a teacher with that hair. And some even spread rumors and gossip about her or attacked her with very hurtful and abusive words. And because of all the cyber bullying, and、uh, the young lady suffered from depression. She had sleeping and eating disorders, and was even hospitalized once. And although she tried to fight against those trolls online, and she even asked for help from、uh, lawyers and also media and journalists. The tragedy still happened, and everyone was shocked and heartbroken. So basically, the story triggered a hot discussion in China about cyberbullying, and the people were really angry about how people could treat a young girl like that online only because of her pictures published on social media platforms. And that also triggered a discussion about how to combat cyberbullying and what need to be done to solve the issue. Yeah, exactly, and I guess it's not really the only case、um, about cyberbullying, and especially when it comes to trolling online and how hurtful it can be to one's mental health, and even as tragic as it is, in Zheng's case, took one person's life. But Ningjing, what about other cases, and especially, for example, in other places in the world, are we seeing similar cases? 
Well, cyberbullying and cyberviolence is not uh, only limited in China. It's really an endemic to many parts of the world. And sometimes it leads to very severe psychological um, problems in the victims and in the very, very tragic cases there could be suicides resulted out of the um, cyberbullying. Now, now, Lee has mentioned the case that we have seen in China. In some other parts of the world, there are similar stuff. For example, in South Korea, there's the 27-year-old male professional volleyball player who tragically killed himself in the year 2022 after being mocked for years for his appearance. And in some other parts of the world, for example, in the UK, a very young girl who's just 14 years old, Hannah Smith, also took her own life in 2013 after trolled on a social networking and question and answer site called Ask.fm. So this has just reflected, um, and cases like these are many, and we don't need to go through these cases one by one. But I just want to give you some data. For example, according to a set of recent tech jury data, 46% of US teens aged 13 to 17 have been bullied online. 41% of US adults have experienced cyberbullying and cyberbullying victims are 1.9 times more likely to commit suicide. That's a very, very sad part of the story. According to the UK government's online safety data initiative, over 80% of children aged 12 to 15 have had potentially harmful experiences online. I think all these figures have told us that cyberbullying does not only happen to adults, it could happen to all age groups. Adults and young kids both can be the victim. And I think we also need to pay attention to the harmful effects of cyberbullying. Yes. And but what intriguing to me is like, it seems like when we are talking about cases about cyberbullying, there are really two sides of the narrative. There are those who are criticizing and pointing fingers. And there are also people who are accusing those criticism that they are the cause of bullying and even took the lives of many young people. But what I'm wondering really here, who are these people? And are these people different? Or is there overlapping between these two voices? Are there people who have joined the initial bullying without knowing it and then realize, well, that's not the full story I know. And then they turn their narrative upside down and starting to pointing their fingers back to where they used to stand. And I guess that's not only to the case of Jung's that we are talking about today, but also in general to a lot of cases around the world. And the first one I think I want to ask Li Yi is that who are the people behind these cyberbullying? Are people doing this intentionally? Well, I think to answer your question, actually anyone can be the person who are engaged with cyberbullying, especially on online platforms or social media platforms. I think what you said, Fei Fei, you mentioned a really good point, which is people can really be 
bullying others online and in the meantime remain completely anonymous on social media platforms. I mean, that's the nature of the internet, actually. Especially with the quick development of social media platforms, people suddenly have tons of access to different information and, and also to other people as well. So people can really publish their opinion on those public platforms without really noting who they are and who they are from and whether they are a girl or a boy. It's all anonymous online sometimes. And especially I think when it comes to cyberbullying, people think they can't really be caught by others if they really said something hurtful or abusive to others. And uh, even sometimes they are caught. Sometimes due to a lack of regulations or laws, there won't be a severe punishment mm -hmm. against those people. So these are all the reasons that make people just bully others online without any caution. And I think, you know, I've actually watched a video online which showed a vlogger and he was like live streaming while he was traveling in a different country. And somehow during the live streaming, a guy who was passing by and said something very offensive and racist to the person, to the vlogger. And then, you know, the vlogger immediately turned the camera and, uh, you know, let the guy who said bad things show in the camera. You know what happened? Actually, that guy just said nothing and then just uh, basically run mm -hmm. and uh, out of the camera. So I think that's a very vivid example of how people can really be different, be acting differently in reality and then in virtual life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, when you observe those you know, attackers or bullies online, they don't really conduct similar behaviors in reality because they think they will be hold accountability for their behaviors in reality. However, in virtual life, sometimes it could be really difficult to catch those people. Yeah, I guess when it comes to the online space, to the internet, it gives you freedom to a lot of knowledge, information, and expands your social circles. But at the same time, when it took the constraints around you off, it's also taking off a lot of the burdens and responsibilities that you need to take in real life. And sadly, that's the two sides of a coin that sometimes it, the real person can be, the real world comments or criticism can be really hurtful. And especially when it comes to stories that we saw online. And I think, for example, in Jones cases and in, also in many other similar cases is that we are not presented with a full version of the mm. story. Sometimes we are only seeing a snippets a very small snippet. And then, of course, as human beings, we are allowed to have our own opinions and judgments. And that's when the bullying starts. But I want to take it to the fundamentals here about what really constitutes as bullying online. Does every comment I make online can be transformed into some sort of bullying to the person who are posting these comments? Well, I think human beings are prone to judge, although we try not to do that. But I think a lot of people just could not stop themselves from doing that. In the virtual world, I think there are three types of people. One type is those who just make random comments without even think about the potential effects of the comment. There's another type that's the trolls. They are just monsters who try to grab attention. And for this group of people, they can do cyberbullying 
but they don't care about the consequences and the harm that their comments might do. For them, their primary goal is to just get attention and enjoy what they do as a source of entertainment. They can be very offensive and argumentative so that they can grab attention from the virtual world and they could also get the victim onto a certain kind of bait so that the discussion will continue. For this group of people, sometimes their behavior is cyberbullying, but they're not really targeting one person. The ones that they are trolling might not be the ones that they know in real life. But for cyberbullying, very often, this kind of comments are delivered by people that the victims know in real life. Their objective is to get revenge. Sometimes they might just feel empowered if they do that. Like, mm. I can hurt you, but you don't know who I am. And then they could do things like harassment or threaten. They could make the victim's life really horrible. They know who you are. They know your identity. They know your story. They could be threatening you of anything. For this kind of people, they're definitely the cyber bullies. I think some of the behaviors of the trolls can be categorized as cyberbullying. And for those cyberbullies with a very clear intention of hurting others, that's definitely cyberbullying. But for just a random Joes, when they make some comments, they might also unconsciously delivering remarks that's um, causing distress and pain to others. That might also be a form of bullying. Yes, exactly. And also, I think there are also people who are trying to monetize sometimes of all the dramas mm. happening online. But regardless of these bullies who are knowingly or unknowingly who are trying to giving out hurtful comments to those victims, is there something that we can do about this? Well, let's first of all check with governments and platforms themselves, because really there is so much that we can do as individuals. But when it comes to counter cyberbullying, is there anything concrete that's been rolled out in most of the countries in the world so far? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, laws and regulation is always the vital step in terms of combating cyberbullying. For example, in China, authorities have been publishing new policy documents and guidelines on combating online abuse. And we do have relevant regulations in terms of how to punish cyberbullies. For example, in November 2022, the Personal Information Protection Law was introduced to strengthen the obligations of social media platforms and also strengthen punishment mechanisms concerning personal information infringement. And also the Cyberspace Administration of China asks websites and platforms to establish relevant schemes to better identify cyberbullying content and social media operators are advised to set up special task forces to monitor situations including a surge in private messages and real-time searches 
to locate abnormal activity. And also those public platforms need to provide like one button protection to enable users to block messages, comments, reposts from strangers. So these are all demanded measures from the government level. However, we have to admit that in China, we still there's a lack of specific or systematic uh, scheme of laws uh, on cyberbullying. Mm. And we have all kinds of laws on how to deal with physical attacks or how to protect victims of physical harassment. However, in terms of cyberbullying, which is a rather new phenomenon, as mm. those media reports label it, still there is so much thing need to be done. So what Li Yi is trying to say here is that maybe other countries have actually have bills or laws about specifically about cyberbullying. Yeah, in some countries, they have put in place very specific laws regarding online bullying. For example, in Australia, they've passed the Online Safety Act in 2021, which grants authorities sweeping information gathering powers with a view to facilitating the identification and prosecution of those behind online abuse. And they also require the internet providers and hosts to remove offending comments. Otherwise, these entities would suffer very heavy fines and injunctions. In France, they also brought in a landmark law to fight online hate speech, which requires social networks to remove offending content within 24 hours and create a button to enable users to flag abuse. In some other countries, there are also similar laws. In China, yeah, we have various laws that contains definitions regarding cyberbullying, for example, in civil code, in the judicial law, and a number of other regulations. You can find those items there, but they haven't come into one whole piece yet. Mm. I guess in the future, maybe some lawmakers will think about this and see what can be done in this regard. Mm, to really target cyberbullying. But I guess when it comes to laws, they're in place or they're being put into place to tackle cyberbullying. But my maybe it's a very cynical part of me is that I think bullying is very with the bad parts of the human nature. Mm. There really is so much laws, authorities, governments, platforms can do about what people are putting out there, especially when it comes to as a form of speech or as a piece of thinking. Yes, we can have technologies to sort of block one button blocking these messages or comments and reposts that can be offensive. But it doesn't mean that this criticism will disappear Mm. from the internet and from our world. And so what more can be done apart from laws and regulations? And why is so hard really to, to find and prosecute those offenders online? I think that's a very good question. I just want to go a little bit back to your previous question about uh, how to you know, really differentiate regular comments or really offensive cyberbullying comments. It's usually associated with prejudice and discrimination. Although media and all those public resources label cyberbullying as a new phenomenon or a new social phenomenon with the development of social media or the internet, I personally consider cyberbullying as an extension of bullying, which is actually an age-old problem. Mm-hmm. You know, think about those 
campus bullying. Think about those workplace bullying, which can be visible or invisible. I actually I remember in my middle school, a boy and was actually often bullied by other boys because of his so-called feminine. Traits or personalities that are considered less masculine, so those boys just bullied him. But think about those issues like feminine and masculine, and also in this case, the pink hair、mm. is. So many traits or so many things that can be really labeled and discriminated against by different people, and then people would just do improper acts or say something improper to that person only because of their own prejudice or discrimination, not because that victim actually has done something wrong. So that's a very tragic thing. So I think to really. Target cyberbullying or any kinds of bullying in reality or in virtual life. Education is definitely needed. It can be really difficult. You know, it can be really difficult to eliminate cyberbullying or bullying solely on education. However, I think education is essential. We need to educate people to embrace diversity. To really embrace every person is different, and it's not like if a person is not. On the same side with you, then you should attack her or him.、Mm-hmm. So that's the basic understanding that should be promoted in general in the public. So I think that's a long-term thing to eliminate cyberbullying or other kinds of bullying. Yeah, exactly. You know, when I talking about prejudice and everything for Zhang's case, and I think I saw her photo with her grandpa well a while ago, and I wasn't thinking her pink hair would be a problem simply because there are so many people. Right now, online sharing their experiences of dyeing their hair into different colors. It can be purple. It can be blue. It can be green and pink. And I didn't think that pink hair would really be that、um, of a problem. But、mm. then somehow maybe it's because she took a photo with her grandpa, and with that single photo, and with some people behind trying to sort of. Twisted the narrative and then start some sort of、uh, different story from the reality, and then slowly it's built up and accumulated into bullying in the cyberspace on the internet. And I guess for a lot of people who are quote unquote bullies, I don't think they are consciously. Mm. Who are tr- really trying to hurt Zheng, or who is really trying to do something evil online? It's just they are making judgments, or pointing fingers, or leaving comments without really even know what the consequences are and what the full story really is. And I think this is something that laws and platforms and technology can never do about it. It's really about ourselves,、mm. and it's really about. You know, hold your thoughts a little while before you really start to point your fingers. And I think I want to direct this question to Ningjing as well. Is that from the figures that you provided us before? Is that a lot of the teenagers aged between twelve to fifteen or and below twenty, they are facing some sort of bullying online in some form. I'm not sure. You know, as a parent, are you worried about this, or do you think there is anything these teenagers can do themselves to protect themselves? Well, I think young people are very easily falling victim to cyber bullying because they are young. They are not fully grown yet. Their knowledge about the society is not that much, and so they are easily the target of online trolls and、uh, online bullying. 
I would say, given the fact that so many people are using the internet, everybody will perhaps, in some form, become the victim of online bullying. So I would say, young people, perhaps they need the support of the whole society, schools and parents, especially. For example, if they come across. This sort of comments online from their classmates or from just somebody they know in life or they don't even know in life, they need to approach their parents, speak to them about what's been bothering them. Maybe they also need to report it to their teachers and schools and see how this kind of online bullying could potentially be stopped. But I still have one tip for the kids. I just googled online, and some experts say that the best advice for dealing with online trolls and with cyberbullying is to ignore rather than engaging with a troll. That way, they will find no interest in continuing trolling you. But with cyberbullying, if that person knows you, they want to hurt you, then. I think the relevant authorities should be notified, and parents should be informed in this.、Hmm. It's roundtable with myself, Fei Fei, Ningjing, and Li Yi. And coming up during the second half of the show, as an employee, should we try to stand in the boss' shoes? And Chongqing is offering students with free HPV shots. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Fei Fei, and Ningjing and Li Yi in the studio. I'm sitting in for her young today. And coming up on the second half of the show, on Roundtable, we've discussed a number of new work trends, like Mo Yu, aka secretly slacking at work. Or nature, the evolution that keeps people working for longer hours, and now there are also people asking how much a worker or an employee should do. More precisely, should an employee stand in the boss' shoes and to think from the bigger picture? And in Chongqing, that city has joined more Chinese cities to offer free HPV vaccines to school students. If you never send us a voice memo, there is no better time than now. Tell us what you think. What's better? Send us your audio questions to ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. Once every week, we answer your questions on the show in our heart-to-heart segment. And it would be great to include your name and the province or region you live in, so we know a little bit more about you. Our podcast listeners can also find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. Now on Roundtable. Someone wrote on the internet recently that the best code of conduct for an ordinary employee was do the job, earn the money, and then head home at the end of the day. What it insinuates is that one needs only to do the absolutely bare minimum at work and never bother thinking for your boss or about the company's long-term interests. And this way of thinking has actually struck a chord with many rank-and-file workers. But at the same time, it has also divided opinions and caused fierce debates online. So, first of all, I want to ask Ningjing about what is this piece of writing all about? Well, we don't really know how come this has become some kind of trending topic, but it just caught the attention of a lot of the workers, and people start to discuss. 
um, about the merits and demerits of this way of thinking. And I think it's worth discussing. Basically, what this topic is, an employee thinking, well, I'm just an employee. I only need to do what I'm instructed to do. Why should I put myself in the boss shoes when I'm just an ordinary worker? I don't have the power to change things or do other stuff. And then there's the um, long-term interests of the company. Should the employee pay attention to that? Well, according to this perspective, it's none of the employee's business. That's all, nothing else. This is basically the standpoint of the employees. The essential part of this logic is the employee wants to separate his or her career from the company's long-term interests or the future. Hmm. And I guess it's a little hard to do that, really, to separate your career from the company's development because they are sort of closely linked in some kind of a way. But I guess hmm. these author of this book piece of writing is, I'm sensing, are getting a little disappointed or maybe a little angry about the company. And that's why they're having this kind of attitude. But I'm not sure about this. But um, Lee, apparently, this perspective has resonated with a lot of workers out there. And what do you think has caused them to think in this way? Well, I think there can be different reasons in terms of individual situation. You know, actually, this phenomenon reminds me of another popular phenomenon that is called quiet quitting. Mm. And I think we've discussed this uh, in previous shows, and it's such a popular trend in the United States and also other countries, basically meaning that people just do the minimum requirements of their daily jobs, and they uh, contribute no more um, time, effort, or enthusiasm than necessary or essential. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is so popular, especially after the pandemic. I think the reasons behind this might be, uh, one, uh, for some employers who work in very big organizations or companies, you know, especially when they are the local employees, sometimes their mindset or mentality in terms of how he or she does his personal job cannot really make a difference for the overall business. And sometimes uh, their personal preference doesn't really make a huge difference, even though they put extra time or effort in their position. And especially when it comes to big uh, organizations, there could be like layers, administration, and sometimes uh, your personal roles could be so and sometimes uh, your requirements for your daily job is so specified that you only need to do your like very, very little or very, very, very special task on a daily basis. And that's all the reason that you're here in the company. So mm. maybe because of that, some employees find that, okay, maybe my job here is to complete or finish uh, the minimum requirements and then still I can get my salary. That's all I want. And maybe that's all my boss wants. Mm. So that could, could be one reason. And also I'm thinking another possible reason why people are really uh, so-called quiet quitting or refuse to stand in the boss's shoes is that maybe there's a lack of motivation on a personal basis, especially for young people. You know, we experience a lot of rat race in the society, in almost all sectors and industries. And sometimes when young people begin to 
find that they are basically competing with others for nothing,、mm. and sometimes that could make them like less motivated to, you know, make extra contribution. So I guess that's all the reasons that could lead to such phenomenon. Or I guess some people are just trying to strike a balance between work and life.、Mm. You know, sometimes I'm not sure. You know, a lot of the companies right these days out there are asking a lot from their employees. They want to them to be productive. They want them to be creative, and not only creative on a yearly basis, but Creative on a daily basis, like you have to come up with new ideas, like groundbreaking new ideas every day. And frankly, well, that's not what humans can do. And I guess then gradually,、uh, a lot of the workers start to getting to be really defensive when it comes to me and the company.、Mm-hmm. And of course, there are pros coming from this kind of a mentality, but I guess there are also some. Cons coming from this kind of perspective as well. So Ningjing, you are a really experienced employee, if、um, I'm addressing you correctly. But do you think, from the long term, especially when it comes to personal development, be this defensive really going to help with if you are looking for to establish a career out of this? Well, first of all, I think. Um, this this kind of thinking is quite indicative of two things. First of all, if that's the general view of the employees of a company, if that's a lot of employees in the company thinking that way, then it might be quite indicative of the problems or the work culture of this company or management issues. In that case, you may want to ask questions such as: Is there a st- Uh, stimulus enough for employees to come up with innovative ideas, or being really rewarded for their innovative ideas, or you may want to ask: Is the workload reasonable? Like what you've just said. If I have too many irons in the oven already, do I really have time to think about other stuff? Think about the. Future of the whole company. I don't really have the time to worry about those issues. Or you might want to ask:、um, Does the company culture give the employees enough channels to voice their opinions or voice their ideas concerning the company's development? You've got to have those kind of culture so that you can let the employees do that. Otherwise, you can't really blame the employees for not. Going to you and say, "Wow, I've got a ton of brilliant ideas, and this is going to help the future of this company." So you can't really expect that from the employees. So if a company is, you know, facing this kind of issue, then they need to think about this.、Um, but if we want to say whether the employees should think this way, of course. Um, everybody has their career objectives. Some people might want to hop ship、um, in the very short future. Maybe that's the attitude that they have adopted. But I still want to say, in the long run, it's not going to do good to either the company or the employees. Let's just forget the company. Let's just put the company aside and focus on the employees. Even if you are going to hop ship. You still want to have some glamorous points you want to put on your resume, right? And if you are slacking all the time, it's really hard for you to put anything there 
so that you can stand out in your next job application. So that's one thing. And then there's the um, the other thing that is the employee's future and sometimes job security and the salary is very much tied with the company's performance. Sometimes this is especially true if you work in a in a very big company, um, or if you are working in a sales, in a fast commodities company. If that's the case, then you you also need to worry about the income, like the the revenue of the company. If everyone works that way, the revenue will fall, and it just um it will just affect the the employee's income level. Mm-hmm. And eventually, um, if the company does not perform well or very sadly go bankrupt. You're going to lose your job. So this is something the employees might still want to think of. Although on the positive side, some people think this is gonna help me achieve work and life balance. I mean, if the workload is、um, too much and you adopt it this way, I guess that's okay temporarily. But you still need to perhaps speak to your、um, management, letting them know this is. Too much for me. Perhaps you could help me, you know, make some changes in、mm. my workload so that I can, you know, think of other things and make more contribution to the company. In another way, I think there's this unhealthy company culture that's need that needs to be addressed. But we can go to that part later. Yeah, exactly. Thinking about the, especially the overall environment in that workplace. Sometimes, if you are really in. A not really healthy environment really shuts down the door for communication. You don't really want to communication with your coworkers or even with your supervisors and with the management. You are just thinking about getting the things done and then going back to your safety net at home. And I think for workers out there, for employees out there. It dep- really depends on the goals you have about this job. If you're really just looking for just the money, just the salaries, and you are happy with doing the bare minimum, and I think as long as you're happy, it's fine to to finish your work and head home. But really, if you're looking for, especially for a lot of the young people out there, out there, if They're looking for personal development. They want something out of this career, whether new experiences, whether learning new stuff. Well, just doing the bare minimum won't make you that cut. And somehow you need to find other ways to compensate to the fact that you are not getting enough from this work. And that reminds me of a little piece I read about brain science. It's not that I'm an expert on brain science. It's just I think it sort of enlightened me about how work can be done. Is that we know brains needs new knowledge, new information to keep it active, and to keep it healthy. But at the same time, the brains need some time to rest. When you are rest, when you are not thinking about anything, when or when you are sleeping. One section of your brain is really actively working at that time. They're sort of digesting and absorbing what you've learned and what you've get from the daytime or from the learning before. And your brain really, really needs that resting time for that particular section to work. And if you are not keeping that section working, and you keep Taking in new things, taking in new information all the time, and the consequences would be either depression 
or anxiety or other mental health issues. And so that's why that piece of writing is sort of encouraging a lot of people to take rest for your brain. Put down your phone, put down your books, close your laptop and close your eyes, not think about anything, take a rest so that your brain can start digesting everything it got before. And I think it sort of also translates into how productivity can be found in workplaces is that, yes, of course, you need your workers and employees to work, but your, your employees and workers also need room to grow, also need time to rest and rethink of what they get from the day before. And I think that's um, a little tip for the managers out there, even though I'm not a manager, I may not be able, or maybe I'm right now trying to stand in their shoes. Mm. And But I think that's one tip. And do, do we have other tips for the managers out there to better cultivate a more healthy and easygoing working environment? Oh, I think, you know, uh, besides promoting a psychology of work-life balance in your company, I think those employers or supervisors could try to, you know, spend a few minutes to think about what they really want from their employees. Because sometimes, you know, uh, in reality, we find that uh, we find that for some, for for many employees who feel like disappointed or anxious or exhausted at workplace. The main reason is that they don't really know what what their supervisors want, and sometimes because of that. Uh, local employees could be like overloaded, and uh, especially if we're going to talk about like how employees should stand in the boss's shoes, then we have to know where the shoe of the boss is. And sometimes, you know, I think it would be better if managers or supervisors try to communicate uh, the company's goals or strategy. Uh, in a clearer way to employees. And then maybe employees will then feel more confident about the future of their business or, uh, or of their organization. And naturally, maybe employees will just try to contribute more to their business. You know, you know confidence is so, so important in workplace. And that could also uh, help to build a more positive workplace environment. And especially if employers find that they can get some feedback from their employees, even if it could be complaints, and try to identify if you offer feedback in a reverse way, and you know try to let your employees know that you get your, their feedbacks and you get and you care about their feelings and what they think about their business. And sometimes, if it is a two-way communication, might that might be better to help promote a more positive working environment. Hmm, that's the ideal case, I guess. But sometimes you don't know. Maybe your boss is also slacking secretly, <laughs> and that's why that your working environment is just not right. But I guess for our young listeners out there, and I hope um, with this episode, you are getting some sort of wiser on making your own informed decisions as to how to better perform your job in the future. And if you have any comments you want to share with us or any questions, let us know by sending your thoughts to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, free HPV shots for students. Stay with us. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? 
Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, Fei Fei, Ningjing, and Li Yi in the studio. In the southwest of China, in the city of Chongqing, they have now joined other Chinese cities to combat cervical cancer, and the city will offer free vaccinations against human papilloma virus to school students this year. And that's the HPV shots that we usually talked about. How well is the HPV vaccination work carried out in the city? And so Ningjing, can you tell us more? Let's start with the city of Chongqing. Right. Altogether, 180,000 female second-year junior high school students in the Chongqing municipality will receive the free HPV jabs this year. And according to the municipal government's work plan, uh, the city is offering a standard subsidy of up to 600 yuan per person, that's just around 88 US dollars, uh, to cover the cost of the doses. It also provides the same subsidy for girls who prefer to use other types of HPV vaccines, um, which might be more expensive, but this will at least provide them some of the money to cover the expense. So far, there are some districts in the city have already launched the program. And the WHO strategy calls on the world to get 90% of girls under 15 in 194 countries vaccinated with HPV uh, vaccines by the year 2030. And they also set a target of eliminating cervical cancer through vaccination, screening and treatment. And China has supported this global strategy and they have also uh, accelerated the elimination of cervical cancer, which was initiated by the WHO in 2020. So China has launched such programs on a trial basis in different um, municipalities and provinces. Um, so free jabs are provided to schoolgirls of the of certain age mm. in many provinces. So Li Yi, I want you to help us understand the bigger picture here in China. So where else in the country has been rolling out this vaccine so far? Um, for example, uh, in Xi'an, which is in Shanxi province, the city has launched a free HPV vaccination program for junior high school girls aged 13. And also, uh, the city is offering all types of HPV vaccines for the group on a voluntary basis. And also in Guangdong, the province had announced plans to gradually help girls under 14 after they get to junior middle schools in September 2022 to get vaccination. A budget of 600 million yuan has been allocated for free vaccinations from 2022 to 2024. And also cities uh, such as Liang Yungang and in Jiangsu province and Jinan in Shandong province have already begun offering free HPV vaccines to school age girls, according to the local commission. So basically, we can see that various regions, cities, provinces have been offering uh, free vaccinations to young girls or ladies. Mm -hmm. However, we have to understand that in China, still the HPV vaccination rate of school age girls uh, is 
is is quite low, is、mm. less than one percent. And also, meantime, we know that to get HPV vaccine as early as possible is an effective a、uh, prevention measure in terms of combating cervical cancers. So that's still a phenomenon that is worthwhile to note. Yes, but when it comes to HPV vaccines, I think what can be a little confusing to many who don't, who are not really familiar with it, is that、mm. there are different types of the vaccines,、mm. and which one should I take really? So Ningjing, can you just explain to us all the different types of the vaccine? China so far has approved four types of HPV vaccines for use, including two. Um, valent HPV vaccines, a four valent one and a nine valent kind, each signifying the number of virus strains it can protect against. According to the health experts, women should get vaccinated as early as possible, and there is no need to wait for the nine valent HPV vaccine, which may be, you know,、um, not available in every part of the country.、Mm. But now, in September 2022, Xi'an became the country's first city to administer a nine-valent HPV vaccine to females aged nine to 45. So, in some parts of the country, they have already offered this type of vaccines to young girls and to women.、Mm. But I guess I'm still a little confused over here about why is not only China but really. The whole world is really pushing to enhance the vaccination on this particular virus. Why is it so important? The reason is quite simple because the long-term presence of HPV can really cause、uh, cervical cancer, and it is one of the most common and fatal cancers affecting women all over the world, actually. And if we look at the situation here in China. It caused more than sixty thousand deaths in the country alone in 2020, and the number of new cervical cancer patients surpassed 110,000 that year. That's according to the data from the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And meantime, it's suggested by health experts, doctors, that if we are going to eliminate or try to reduce cases of cervical cancers. Then to have HPV vaccination is an effective measure. So that's why you can see governments in worldwide are promoting such vaccines, especially to young ladies.、Mm. Comprehensive cervical cancer control、um, includes primary prevention, which is the vaccination against HPV, and then through constant screening and treatment of precancerous lesions, the advance of the cancer process can be stopped. And health experts has stressed one thing, and that is HPV is just one cause to women's cervical cancer. With HPV vaccination, women can still get infected with other viruses. So, Pap smear tests and TCT tests are still recommended by doctors, even if you have already got this HPV jab. Hmm. And I guess for boys and girls out there, it's always important to get the necessary information and protect yourself from an early age, and especially watch out for your health、um, throughout all ages. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much for your company, and I'm Fei Fei. I also want to thank Ningjing and Li Yi for the wonderful discussions. You can find us on Apple Podcasts at Roundtable China. I'll see you next time.